Welcome to Backlog Dialogues, the podcast where we take you out of your backlog before it bores you. I'm John, and joining me as always are the Emily and Citron to my Leah. I'm here and I'm Jared. I, I'm Matt, and Sacre Bleu, I can do a terrible French accent. Nope, so, nope, uh, nope, nope, nope. Okay, which characters are actually German in CrossCode? Because I know the developers are Lucas. German, and so there's a, Lucas is definitely German, and Lucas and Emily work together. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, so I would assume that she is actually German playing a French person. Oh, that's funny. Oh, that is that is a horrifying image, for, especially for what the accent would sound like. Oh, yeah. I, I had assumed that she was actually French, though. I assume they were online buddies. Yeah, especially yeah, in a world where Especially in a world where online seems to have lots more options, since we have the whole full dive thing going. True, true. It's quite, it's totally possible. So, yeah, t- it's time for our second mini log where we're talking about a small team indie action JRPG called CrossCode. And it also happens to be my I can't say it's my favorite video game anymore after Final Fantasy 14 and Walker. It is my second favorite video game. <laughs> well, you're just proving my point that you always have a very fluid uh, ranking set, huh? OK, OK, OK. The stands. I'm going to give you my top six favorite games ever. It was five before in our notes and then Final Fantasy 14 and Walker happened. We'll be talking about Ed Walker way, way down the line. I have a lot of stuff that I want to talk about before we even get there. Uh, but um, no, my, here are my top six games. Six is Metal Gear Solid 2. Five is Earthbound. Four and three is a tie between Undertale and Celeste. Two is CrossCode and one is Endwalker, which I guess also includes all of Final Fantasy 14. The acclaimed RPG now available up to level 60 as a free trial, though as no, it is the recording at the moment of recording, they, they're a victim of success and a temporary shutdown. That probably won't be true by the time this airs. Yeah, by the time this airs, you'll probably be able to actually play Final Fantasy 14 again. <laughs> Hooray. Um, but so, yeah, I judge all those games pretty close to each other and they all have things about them that are very similar. CrossCode is where it is, though, above everything except Final Fantasy 14 for one very specific reason. It does everything I love about video games and it does them well. <laughs> well, I think it's because when you make a video game about a video game, you kind of have to go deep into it if you're not just going to make a mess. <laughs> you, there are so many indie games right now that I feel like all play on the same set of Okay, what is popular? Dark Souls, so let's have a lot of Dark Souls elements. Uh, Metroidvanias, let's do a lot of Metroidvanias. And then here's CrossCode, which is a action JRPG with Zelda-like puzzle solving in dungeons, but also Yoshi's Island-like ricochet shooting mechanics. Like, they they clearly picked a bunch of mechanics that they liked rather than mechanics that are specifically popular. For me, I love the, I love the mechanics because the way I describe it is that it's... Uh, Soul Blazer meets Yoshi's Island with modern sensibilities. I dig it. And, I dig it. Yeah. And, and, and it also, it has a really great integrative factor in that it literally builds the mechanics that they exist to be mechanics. And we'll go yeah. into more detail there, but it literally is. This is a world where you can see is you're built into a video game. So you are, are, are accessing the system on its merits. Yeah. Like everything that you do in the game is stuff that is presented as this is stuff other people are doing in the game. There's other things going on in the story. It's presented as a JRPG story within a JRPG, which is its own fascinating little structural thing. So it's in the grand tradition of stuff going as far back as dot hack for those who remember the early 2000s of being a fictional multiplayer online game in which you are just living in that world now. It is a stuck in an MMO isekai as a video game, but I think it handles its themes best out of 
a lot of these, you know, stuck in an MMO game isekais. Yeah. Actually, well, you're you're well. That's because that's kind of a big weird subgenre, which is kind yeah. of a huge amount of chaff with a few interesting options. Yeah. Well, um, like the thing is that, like for me, like I can even like elements about the bad ones, but we're probably going to get into talking about uh, comparing and contrasting some of these. But like I can even find some nice things to say about Sword Art Online, which is the which is the perennial whipping boy of this subgenre. I can find nice things to say about Sword Art Online alternative Gun Gun Gale Online. <laughs> that's because you like talking. That's because you like talking moe guns. <laughs> that's because I like shows that are written by people that understand games. <laughs> yes. I mean, Sword Art Online, it's the easy target, but it's not like it's the worst. I have seen such worse image, such Japanese stuff. I like True. to read online lit fig, uh, like lit RPG fi- uh, fiction a little bit myself, too. And you get some real trash tier insanity there. Like, you're just like, huh, I need to dump out my brain now. So not getting <laughs> into spoiler territory or stuff, but like everyone here, how would you grade this just like at face value as a stuck in another world isekai type story? How would you rank it? I would rank it at the top, honestly. I would rank it pretty dang high, if not highest. Yeah, <laughs> I would say top three, but that's because I like lit RPGs for all their stupid in genre rules. Like, I get sort of an odd Skinner box kick out of some of those. So maybe mm-hmm. I wouldn't rank this as very top in terms of cohesive story. It's probably the strongest. It's just there are ones that can amuse me even greater. If we were to like talk about animes in this subgenre that I like, the one that I like most is definitely Log Horizon. Mm-hmm. Log Horizon is telling a very different story than Crosscode. Yes. To me, the most charming low story one is Bofuri because you don't need a major <laughs> story when you're literally just watching a community playing a video game and just having yeah. fun. Yeah, that that's a very different one. I would say there are actually like some elements both of Bofuri and Log Horizon in uh, Crosscode's general story, where like <laughs> a lot of it is just, oh, these are a bunch of regular people playing a game and having fun. Come on, we have to unlock the next zone. <laughs> But also your character has a very different problem that actually like is not the same as everyone else, which is kind of fascinating. So we've managed to talk all this time without really going into even a capsule statement of this game. Sure. Yeah, sorry. Well, well, well organized. Let's go. I think we should probably take a step back and, and just do that. A bit. We're going to talk about the intro part of the game, how it introduces elements, what what you're doing. And then we're going to get to the spoiler zone like we usually do for these mini logs where we just like will talk about all this stuff that is in the second half of this game that is awesome absolutely incredible like that elevates this game above what it initially presents itself as Mm -hmm. we will get as we always do we will give you a spoiler warning when that time comes along but for now we're just going to give you the initial setup of this game and how it builds the game starts by dropping you right into it Yep. yep the very first sequence is this tiny little prologue where you are controlling a woman named shizuka it's basically a small little control introduction. It's a way to show you what kind of cool stuff you'll be able to do later, like cool special moves, all this kind of stuff. And some of the basic controls. And she is trying to get to a person. And if you're just like playing this the first time, none of it is supposed to make any sense at all because it's... She's speaking to someone shadowed who isn't responding what she's saying. She has to keep going with her, trying to get her to turn back. And she yeah. said, file, she's reaching, trying to reach her brother. Very little of it is meant to make sense, but it does. It's there to make you feel a connection to uh, Shizuka right away. And yeah. she's fighting in the snow. It looks like a Tory Gate shrine. And it's just so uh, I don't it. No, Not snow. Uh, it is cherry. Blossom, yeah. Said. Yeah. It's a sort of like a at night cherry blossoms. Japanese shrine. I keep going to. 
yeah, Japanese shrine garden type place that she's fighting a bunch of weird things that are being sent at her by this shadowy person. With big, cool martial art fire powers. Yep. And she even comments a bit on like the more game designy elements going on, such as a bunch of enemies are said to be cold. So she switches to heat, just like introducing the elemental ideas that this game is going to have. She even says how original in, in a dry, sarcastic tone. Like it, It's like another thing that it's doing right now, though, is introducing to you how the game is going to be presenting story to you mm-hmm. with a lot of profile characters talking little dialogue boxes as you're still moving along. I mean, Shizuka is definitely both sarcastic, but also somewhat frantic. She is basically a berserker, a berserker rage pushing through here. Yep. <laughs> Nothing stops her. She We don't even yep. really know what her motivation is. She just knows that she needs to get to her brother. Yep. And when she does, he collapses. After Kaya say, "No, I I need to be here," but then he just collapses saying he's done. Yep. And then we fade to white. And we fade back in and we are a girl floating on a platform. And oh, the girl looks a lot like Shizuka, but looks like a palette swap. Kind yeah. Of. Uh, almost like a palace lapis Shizuka. Yeah, she's got short blue hair rather than long black hair. Her her scar is a different direction, but like there's enough about her that is similar to Shizuka that you're like, what happened to Shizuka? But you are told, no, your name is Leah. You have no memory right now and you cannot speak. Just sitting on the platform. Her, her sprite can, like, her, her profile sprite can nod occasionally, but... She basically yeah. can't do any other communication. And there's a voice speaking to her through a monitor. Well, like a, a, a woman checks up on you as well. The voice guiding you is Sergey, who more or less just presents himself as someone who's trying to help you out. Your little voice in your ear. If you've played Metal Gear Solid, he actually does even look a little bit like Otacon. <laughs> he, he is kind of an Otacon. Oh, that's right, cool. Yeah. <laughs> and it's worth, it's worth noting. It just it's going to mention here. His last name is Asimov. Yep. Um, yeah. I kind of see him as a uh, uh, an American of Russian descent, but mm-hmm. I don't know if that is true. Apparently, apparently there is like background text saying he's Ukrainian ancestry. As far as there are nationalities in this future timeline, as far sure, as might sure, so. yeah, yeah. Before we go on, I'd like to point out one of the things that I'm really happy about what Crosscode did with the game design, which is just the dialogue system and the face sprites. Because they did they knew that they have a more or less silent protagonist. We we have a bit of exception to that, but we'll get to that. But Mm. they had a a more or less speechless protagonist. And they knew that in order to make her a strong and relatable protagonist, that they would have to do a lot of facial expression sprites for her. Oh, yeah. And they so they did. They spent a lot of time and effort doing that. And also they have a really good dialogue system that will let you pause and scroll back through the past, gosh, like 100 dialogue boxes Mm -hmm. or something like that. And it is honestly, I wish uh, all RPGs had that. It is really, really nice. It respects the player a lot and just shows it like the dialogue is well written. You can go back and read it pretty Nice and easily. The sprites are gorgeous. A beautiful 16-bit level with with the, with with somewhat yeah. stronger background art. Like all good retro-style indie games, 
It looks like you remember the Super Nintendo looking rather than what the Super Nintendo actually looks like. You stole the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> so I find myself thinking stupidly of creepypastas where they always say the backgrounds look so realistic. Unlike what the games actually could look like. And just that's where my brain's going. Like, uh, goddamn Godzilla creepypasta. If anyone remembers that one. Nope. Yeah. Okay. Fair so enough. we end up with Sergey kind of as Leah's keeper. Leah mm-hmm. doesn't really know why Sergey is attached to her or why she is attached yeah. to Sergey. He indicates that he knows her and he knows she yeah. has amnesia. And he yeah. won't explain. He says he can't explain exactly what's going on, but that in the, because of what something that's happened to her, she has to be in the game for now. And yep. that's how they're going to find her memory is what he tells her. Yep. And so we going through that, we get a little tutorial about how the game works. Uh, and we also get a, a way for Leah to actually communicate, even though she cannot like speak in full sentences. They install the ability to say single words. I believe the first one is hi. We get hi, bye, and Leah, I think. Yeah. No, I think it's really just hi to start. You run around just yeah, you get people. You get hi first, and then you get Leah, and later you get bye. <laughs> yeah. And basically, this is a couple of things. Like, Sergey comments that you could treat it like an old glitch. Supposedly it's something that used to happen with speech modules. But he can't just restore speech. He's hard coding these specific words. It's almost like he's giving her buttons to push on a speak and say. Yeah. One of the things that that kind of does is it separates Leah from your typical silent protagonist in that she is very capable of expressing herself. She just can't do it with sentences. Yeah. Leah is not a player cipher. Let's be clear that she has a clear, distinct and rather sarcastic personality for someone who can't crack jokes. Yes. So one thing that I also like is that this also kind of makes the world a little bit more diegetic because they they introduce their diegetic lore uh, using this, I believe, because yeah. they talk about how, oh, a lot of players using uh, on CrossCode actually have classically oh, cross kind of worlds. had this or cross worlds. Yeah, have kind of had this this issue. And yeah. you actually do find Apple players saying, wait, that's still an issue. I can't. I thought that was patched years ago. Yeah. Basically, here's what we're being set up with. We're on this cargo ship. They're taking us towards the game. And what we what the setup is, is we are now playing in this narrative exp- exploration focus MMO. But we're actually playing it, trying to find access different zones and find out what happened to ourselves. Well, just yeah. interacting with people. And we can't tell anyone what's going on. Even if we right. can't speak. Yeah. Speaking of the speaking of the what you call it, the the ship going towards the game. Let's talk about the setting for the world outside the game that the game itself exists in. Right. Yeah, we're in, we're, we're in heavy. We're in heavy sci fi here. This is a world in which they comment they've mapped over 80 percent of the galaxy. I think even higher. I can't remember. these Yeah. Numbers. Like there's a, there are like little bits of notes in the game that actually just like explain what the actual scope of sci-fi we're in right now. And like, it almost feels like this is a quaint little diversion for a lot of people. This is like, oh, I'm just going to pop on my VR goggles and go play in the playground. It almost feels like we're in a Star Trek universe. They do talk about people being off planet and big events in space. And this this isn't a virtual space that we're in here. What we find out is that Crossworlds is on an actual, originally barren planetoid. Yep. Like that they actually like a, it's a rocky moons orbiting a gas giant that you can see in the sky in several places. They've literally turned the, the entire moon into the setting for the video game. Yep. It's it's great. It's a cool setting. <laughs> they haven't gotten that much of it yet. It seems like there's only this one island so far. Makes you wonder if there's other games on other islands. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Could be. You, Just yes. set aside a planet to make video games on. And then suddenly your fast RPG gets invaded by football players and just. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> we go wreck it, Ralph, on this shit. So the company is named Instatainment. Mm-hmm. And there is apparently technology for this thing to, you know, connect human consciousnesses into this game. And of course, there appears to be, you know, faster than light uh uh, communication, you know, communication yeah. going on. Can I say yeah. that Instatainment sounds like a name, something that would totally be a Shadowrun dystopian uh, megacorp? Oh, like, OK, it, at least it is not like so fucking on the nose that it doesn't that it's like it's like, oh, that's immediately evil. Well, the, the reason it's called instant is because of the instant matter. Yeah, the instant matter. Exactly. Instant matter is a really cool idea because it's like it, like you have a physical body in this space that you are controlling that is light as a feather. <laughs> and can't touch water. And that's why we don't want to program swimming. <laughs> yep. But it's simple. You're in this world where there is a, a something of a physical uh, built in infrastructure, but then everything's overlaid with this instant matter. Mm-hmm. As long as you're only interacting with it, you're just interacting with the program physics of the world. You run as fast as the character can. You can lift yep. things at the program level the character can. But if a human comes in, the instant matter is, like I said, almost yep. weightless. But it can't handle anything more than a light rain. Yep. Well, one thing that I thought was really cool about this as well is that I think some of the narrative notes uh, or, you know, talking to NPCs really kind of hammers home the idea of MMOs as theme parks. Yeah. Because the they're literally building, you know, cross worlds as a theme park for these for the players in this case. Yeah. They yeah. literally have real people out here doing construction of non-instant matter infrastructure on this and, moon. And yep. it has some hilarious parallels with normal gaming. Like when they're building an expansion, they're literally construction in the world. When yep. you're going into instance encounters, you're in one of a, you find out later in one of us, you're like in a warehouse in one of many, many like a uh, storage containers, which each is your own instance of the dungeon. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about the NPCs as well, because there's really two kinds of NPCs in this game. There's the in-game NPCs that are like quest givers, uh, that kind of thing. Some of them are implied to be controlled by GM. Some of them are just literally just, you know, scripted events. Yeah. Then there's the players and real people. Yeah. Yeah. The players and real people, which like they do such a good job capturing like regular human psychology in this game. Before we even get into like the other like important characters like there are like recurring NPCs that one of the most popular recurring NPCs, for example, is Table Chan, who just sits on every single table. <laughs> <laughs> and like you, you can always access like um, optional small like in-game conversations with pop-up bubbles by hitting a button when it indicates it. And her friend's like, why are you doing this? I just feel so comfortable. And later on the game, you find like other people are following her in this habit now. Like you follow Table this Chan little character group. <laughs> Yeah, you follow this character through this through the game because she is also playing the game at the same pace you are. There's a series of side quests which are somehow created by players that are trying to form a guild to take over everything. Though I feel like that story peters out a little. Which side quest are you talking about? I try to remember. It happens on Bergen Peak where they actually get some stuff and they apply. They have dark plans. Yeah, there, there's a right, right. <laughs> the guild that that's that's trying to expand operations and stuff like that. And yes, yeah. There are player created quests. In yeah. fact, that's how they that that is what they replace credit trading with. And sometimes the difference is so hilariously jarring. A repeated point about the NPC NPCs, as opposed to the player NPCs, is that their speech recognition is incredibly rudimentary. 
So Leah can talk to them. And they even though she can only say a few words or respond, it's like, well, can you just please give us a message for people? Bye. Such wise words. (laughs) (laughs) It's also kind of like making fun of how silent protagonist stories are usually written. Like it's like it's a cool little extra layer of subversive writing on top of like also being great character writing. In the second half of the game, you hit a recently created quest, which is supposed to be for negotiation. Apparently it has better speech recognition, so you can't do shit. It turns into a firefight. So the NPC police (laughs) cop is like, you wear their guns blazing. You disgust me, but I guess you finished it. They're like, huh, guess that didn't work, right? You're a loose cannon, Leah. (laughs) Turn in your Bye. (laughs) Bye. Why? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sergey regrets the day he gives her the, the five W questions, including why. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> she, Mindy, and buttons the shit out of him. Oh, yes. It's amazing. Like He's like, oh, you're, you're messing with me, aren't you? Yep. Hi. <laughs> I really, like, like, I really and, do like the subversion of silent protagonists that Leah is, okay. though. And like. Heck, once Leah gets more words, she strings together sentences of words in w- in ways that are not intended. Like she Hi, finds Leah, a version. Why? Leah, wait. Which is like, I'll wait for you at the end of the dungeon. <laughs> I'll <laughs> smash. Like she is such a well realized character for like having such limited dialogue options. It's great. And until we get to the spoiler section is where I want to leave it because there's so much more to say there. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. We talked about her so much. I think we talked about the other named characters of imports. Yeah. So um, the first friend that Leah makes in game is Emily or Emily. 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 Or is that the movie? I have no idea. <laughs> Her full character name is Emiliator or something like that. Yeah. So Emiliator. Yeah, like it's it's a eliminator. It is a very yes. forced pun and it is wonderful. I love her. She's great. Yeah. Like she she's super competitive. She's fiery and plays a pro a close up brawler class called a pentafist because yep. it just. Fits. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like uh, there are five character classes in the game. Spheromancer, pentafist, hexacaster, triblade or quadro shield. Yeah. And so every single player character you meet in game is going to be one of those classes. Emily's a pentafist. She's super competitive. She like wants to go on races in the game. She loves cows and laser bridges and hates bugs. Yep. Yeah, in fact, the way we meet her is we meet her right outside the first tutorial dungeon, basically. And well, she's outside like, the first race? leg of it. Yeah. Leah yep. gets te- Leah gets teleported in after the first leg of the tutorial dungeon, which has several shared like character sections between the instances, presumably for people to meet up and talk. Yep. And like she's runs the girl and she's like, oh, you're the first girl I met just now. That's neat. <laughs> yep. And so like it's she becomes your friend over the course of this game just by virtue of, oh, we started at the same time. Let's play together. By overwhelming personality. Which is so natural. Like, I love that. It's just like, yeah, yeah, of course. You meet yeah. the person you meet at the same time that you start the game might become one of your friends. And she never questions why this girl only says hi in her name to her. <laughs> but, and she, yeah, she never questions that. And she empties her heart to Leah. It's amazing. Yeah. Like she, she is like, wait, <laughs> yeah. I just really like how it how this game kind of plays up the positive aspects of MMOs. Mm hmm. The positive social aspect. You know that Mio's a newbie. She's a student of some sort. She often talks about her school stress. She worries about group projects. We do all these sort of things and she really likes having people to talk to and challenges, which is why she keeps doing these races, which you can win throughout the game. 
Oh, yeah. The next character that you meet is a different kind of competitive character. The only <laughs> the only personality more forceful well, than Neil out there. Actually, I think maybe we should sh- should talk a little bit about uh, about the plot and get to the other characters as they well, come. Well, well, one like, appears right I, okay. here. Yeah. So after you finish the first dungeon. Well, we, sh- we should probably yeah. talk about getting we, off. We, the yeah, boat. we mentioned. Yeah, we, we kind of. OK, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's get a, let's get a, let's talk about getting off the boat. Like, so a- rather than just like, yeah, yeah. OK, well, so let's rewind a bit. Yeah. Basically, after you meet all the people on this ship who are who are basically member working for Instatainment, like they're doing physical deliveries and that. And after Sergi and the other characters, the captain, and I forget the uh, the woman's name, they, they help train you a bit more. I think suddenly a flying blue man shows up. Yeah, well, we, we should we should mention as well that the 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 intro makes it clear that whatever we're doing is not exactly legal or with the rules. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, uh, I said well, we're being smuggled on board, and Sergey said that's why we don't want to draw attention or, or explain what's actually happening. We're being yeah. smuggled into the into the world. But of course, as soon as we get like very close to the environment, as you said, a strange blue avatar that looks kind of like looks like a sun god to me. Yeah, so he's he's definitely got celestial being. Look. I would say Hindu deity is the what I think of when I see him. He flies in and throws a crab monster at us because. Of course, you're going to throw a crab monster at us as the first boss in the game. He, he came to harass the boat, but he saw you and was like, hey, you look interesting and also familiar. Yeah. He, and he's decided, OK, I'm going to I need to prove something here. Here's a crab with a crate on its head. Yep. You fight this. You fight this crab. You gain a level plot point. <laughs> he decides that he's that that he's going to basically take us. Yep. Take Leah. But, but luckily, but, the captain's ship shows up with a jetpack and a fucking rocket launcher. Yep. He. <laughs> Right. He breaks the avatar and he sends Leah flying to the island. Basically, there's no time. We're getting you. We're getting you there now so you can hide. Yep. And like we said, the first person that you meet is Emily. Uh, and, and and what happened has a few consequences. First, we know we're under threat. We've been detected. And second, we're a level higher than we should be after the scripted tutorial dungeon that's gone so far. So. Yes. Yep. Oh. So on the other side of the dungeon that we race Emily through, can you cannot win this first race, correct? No, you can't. Yeah, you can't like you can win every other dungeon race, but you cannot win this first one. She will. I think she I think I tried doing it as fast as I possibly could, and she still just barely beat me. I am 99 percent sure that you that you cannot beat her the first time. And all the other in-game achievements are just like for winning every dungeon race does not require this one. So, yeah, you cannot win this first dungeon race, but it does set a fire in you to want to win the other ones, doesn't it? (laughs) Oh, on my second playthrough, the first time I was way too busy banging my head against all the mechanics. Fair. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, so maybe we should talk a little bit about what's in that first dungeon, just like as a sort of like test of all your dungeoneering skills and how it ties into the gameplay. So like almost all the puzzles in this game are based around uh, ricocheting these little uh, projectiles that you have. Balls. We'll call them balls. <laughs> The game, well, all the players do, but apparently that's an old meme joke that everyone got sick of. Yep. Well, don't make the ball jokes. People call them balls, but you, yeah, you don't make jokes that. about balls. Yeah. Don't make. Wait, wait, you're you're going to ask if we have cheeseburger next? Come on, fuck. Come on, dude. Get get a kill life. <laughs> I heard it all years ago. <laughs> yeah, I heard it years ago. No one wants to deal with that anymore. Let's just fucking play this game, y'all. 
So, yeah, you go through the dungeon, you get your equipment, you get to fight a boss that it relies on understanding the ricochet mechanics, which are pretty simple. Like most of the giant turrets. <laughs> yeah, it's a giant turret with a shield on the front and you have to ricochet shots into its back. Like the game does a very good job just like upfront saying, understand basic physics, understand how reflection works. Can you do that? Cool. You'll understand this game. Use a controller because keyboard, goddammit. The controller is the right way to play this game, even if you're playing on PC. Because it's 360 degree uh, aiming physics and you have to also use aiming and also unless you're really good at mouse aiming, it pretty much you need to use a joystick controller. Mm hmm. Yeah. I, it just so, it, it plays better because it's a top down JRPG with a controller anyway. So that we clear it. Sergey like is hyping up bits of the game. Like, are you going to love when you get this part when you get your sphere grid? <laughs> yep. Uh, so it the game is just unlocking more and more of your stuff as you play. And at the other side of the dungeon, what should happen? But you are accused of cheating. <laughs> <laughs> and, then we, and then you got to tell the guy he doesn't pay our sub. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> Because he'd haired asshole just standing at the tallest thing he could find just shouts down as a blue haired spheromancer. Yes. And (laughs) so this is another spheromancer named Apollo with a strong sense of justice and a very pronounced forehead. I wonder what he's a reference to. I gotta say, is he a role player or a late game uh, raider type? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He goes on because apparently spheromancers are kind of all rounder classes so they can be really hard to late to uh, play until late game. So they're kind of rare to see, especially at the start. So he yeah. gets really obsessive that someone's making Sphero Masters look bad. Like you're a higher level. I would probably say the thing I would say most about him is that he loves cross worlds to no end. Yeah. Like he knows all the lore. He PVPs, he raids, he does everything. He's Which, Apollo. Like Apollo is his uh, alt character that he's taking his well let's be honest his boyfriend his boyfriend husband i'm not sure if the, what their relationship status is they, they live together That's they are living together because they're yeah uh he's jorn. taking he's taking jorn through the game because <laughs> jorn wants to play and jorn wants her to make sure he remembers the water the plants and feeds the cats yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah we meet apollo and jorn jorn is just like oh god dude what the fuck are you doing <laughs> I'm sorry about the way Apollo is, but yes, this Look, is just he's, what he does. He's he's just that way. Yep. We don't get to like settle anything with Apollo yet. Mostly, Emil tells him the blow when he walks off Skulky after Jorn's after Jorn scolds him as well. <laughs> yep. Uh, so then, but Emil takes us into the first city, which is uh, Rookie Harbor, because of course it is. And there we meet Lucas, who is Emily's friend, who got her into the game. He is a tribeleader, and he is German. What does he say? He says Holero whenever he wants to greet someone, which I'm pretty sure is like it's an old German anime meme, as I would understand it. I don't know that one. I do know they keep calling him the Dark Lord Schneider. Yes, (laughs) because that's his character name. Yeah. Yep. Lucas is Lucas. He is just a friendly guy that's like helping out his new friend, his friend getting into the game. And he's like, oh, you made it for another friend. You should go play. (laughs) We are given the free reign of Rookie Harbor and are allowed to go out into the world and start doing quests. Yep. So this is where I'd like to talk about the some of the systems in the game that I really like. Sure. I really like the way that they handle quests in general yes. in this in this game. I mean, it's not anything really revolutionary. It's just a really strong system of side quests in hub towns that are done really well. That's mm-hmm. it. And they have a good quest log and you it's easy to keep track of them. 
and the quests themselves are varied and interesting. And essentially, they provide a good kind of, uh, you know, a gauntlet of challenges for the area that you're that you are going through. And it's also pretty clear that the quests are how you're intended to level in this game. Regular EXP from enemy kills starts to scale down really low, but quest EXP is constant. So quests are the best way to gain levels. Yep. The clear thing is that it wants you to explore the game through the quests, which also is how you get like a lot of really fun little story beats, like the uh, old player that wants to find a bunch of broken weapons. And and going through his quest line through every town in the game, uh, you fight a bunch of very tough optional bosses. Like Sonic the Hedgehog. Yep. Yeah, the very first one of these Sonic, is literally Sonic the Hedgehog. It is a blue hedgehog because there there's a bunch of hedgehog enemies in the flames and you have to beat a bunch of them and you will unlock this fight. Yep. And so then you've uh, another system that I like is I like the trading system, which is oh, yes. what replaces a crafting system. It's essentially the same thing. But yeah. essentially what they have is that there's a bunch of kind of market vendors in most of the towns. And uh, each one of them sells, you know, one to four different uh, items that you need to trade a little bit of credits, but also materials that you find from enemies and from uh, from flora out in the in the various areas. Yep. And, uh, and, and that's how you get powerful. Like equipment is more powerful than levels. Levels yeah. just let you use more equipment, as I recall. Well, and also they give you circuit points. And gives you more uh, of your sphere grid. Yes, yes, that's the other thing. So, but stat the, the stats from leveling are not that powerful, right? The leveling just is a way to open up more gear for you. Keeping your gear updated by using the trading system is the best way to keep up with the power curve of the game, and also experience the Gurren Logan. <laughs> Yes, you're it's playing references. <laughs> yeah, if you're just using the default equipment that does that is just taking from credits, the game is actually probably going to be very hard. Yeah, the trading equipment is way better than anything you can buy to the extent that I'm like, it's probably what you really should be focusing on upgrading through. Yeah, that's what I always do when I play this game. So we really only a few more characters covered. They're all members of the guild that we kind of get we kind of get cheerfully uh, impressed into. Yeah, the yeah, we get. As, as the story progresses, we get introduced to the first scholars, which are which is just a guild that is like lore obsessed. We are the lore obsessed guild. Please join our guild because we like the lore. And also uh, it is the guild. Yeah, it's the guild Emily and Lucas are in. Uh, it's the guild that Lucas is in and that Emily's like, yeah, I'm going to join because Lucas is in it. And then they also say, hey, Lee, do you want to join? And Lee's just like. Lee. Lee. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like, and that's why you're like, oh, she can't talk. And Emil, Emily still hasn't noticed. Yeah. <laughs> least, yeah. Like, whereas Lucas picks up instantly. Yeah. Well, Bart, he's a little bit less crazy. And also he's a longer term player. So he's heard of that glitch. Yep. Mm-hmm. But like it, it, Emily finally realizes she feels so bad. It's like, I thought she was just quiet. <laughs> well, yeah, but we can get to that in a little bit. Uh, there's still a few more things that I think I want to touch on before we get to the well, spoiler zone. Let's uh, so eventually you get to the first real dungeon in the game, like out of the tutorial dungeons into the real dungeon. When it, and that's where it introduces. The yeah, the mine. And that's where it introduces my favorite system in the game. I'm going to back up a little bit and talk about what I call the Zelda problem that Zelda has been trying to solve for the last decade and not doing the best job of it, in my opinion. I don't know if it's actually a problem in Zelda, but the designers of Zelda certainly seem to think it is that the 
tool that is a dungeon is based around is that you get partway through. And so they can't design puzzles around that tool until the halfway point of the dungeon. And then it's sort of discarded later on. As far as the Zelda dungeons go, the best dungeon that like fixes that problem is probably the Dodongo Caverns and Ocarina of Time because it introduces bomb flowers before it introduces the bomb bag. So it is a bomb themed dungeon all the way through. Yeah, it's a really good dungeon. It, it teaches you how bombs work before it gives you ability to throw bombs at any time. They've tried to fix this in various ways, like, for example, the what you call a link between worlds, was it? Yeah, Link Between Worlds was the first game that they tried to solve this problem. And I do not like their solution for it in Link Between Worlds. And this is probably going to be like one of my most controversial video game takes. Link Between Worlds is my is one of the worst Zelda games, in my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) I liked it, but it was in spite of that system rather than because of it. If you are familiar with Link to the Past, it is going to be a very familiar game to begin with. But their solution for dealing with the Zelda problem is the item rental system. And that is a very ham handed way to let just say, okay. We have a problem where we need to get rupees out of people's pockets because we have rupees because that's an obligatory part of Zelda. And we have a problem where we need to get the tools to a player before they go into the dungeon. So we'll put a sign outside of every dungeon that says have this tool before you come in here. And then you go to the one shop in the game that has all the tools and you rent that item. I do actually like the character that runs it, which which made me forgive it a little bit. Yeah, Ravi is cool. But I would have less a problem with this if they made the final dungeon that was about testing you on all the tools in a combination of ways rather than, oh, we're going to test you on the other tools that we didn't put into dungeons. (laughs) Yeah. And so the other Zelda problem as well is that essentially in the dungeons, all of the dungeons are more or less independent of each other because they want to enable they they really have this idea that they want to enable sequence breaking in some way or not have them be in a particular order. But I honestly like think that makes the dungeons a less good experience. I like Breath of the Wild a lot. I would probably say it's my fourth favorite Zelda game. Its solution is just give you all the tools up front and then design everything in a more systemic way. That also works very well for an open world game. But I also like big, meaty dungeons that have a lot of puzzles in them. And Breath of the Wild does not have that. What CrossCode reminds me of in terms of how it does its puzzles is it actually reminds me of how Lufia 2 did its puzzles, which was on the SNES, I think, the RPG that actually had dungeon puzzles that were by far oh, yeah. the best. Lufia 2 is probably the most underrated Super NES uh, JRPG and has some of the best puzzles you'll ever find in any JRPG. It's really good. Uh, I would say CrossCode is actually in that same class and, and yeah. even better. Now let's get into CrossCode's solution to the Zelda problem. We talked a bit about the balls that you throw beforehand. Well, the dungeon introduces you to a little pedestal with a little fire icon on it. And if you shoot a ball through it, it turns into a fireball, which is pretty cool. Yep. And so you end up with access to the power that the dungeon is going to give you uh, through these little bubbles that are in a lot of the things and designed into the puzzle solutions. Yep. And also designed into the combat. So what it does is it first gives you this power in the context of, okay, you're only allowed to solve the puzzle by pointing it through this uh, bubble. And what that does is it not only teaches you it, it allows them to make simpler puzzles that are that have a bit more of a straightforward solution. Which means by the time they give you the power fully that allows you to just change to that element type and every single attack you make is going to be fire themed, including throwing fireballs just naturally, they can design more complex puzzles around it with the full confidence that you understand how this tool works and they can continue increasing the difficulty of the puzzles. It is fantastic. 
it is yes. like the best version of this that I've ever seen in a video game. And they never stop accelerating. After a couple dungeons like that, they then start doubling it on you. There's a three dungeon sequence where you pick one of two dungeons, then a final one, which basically is mixing two elements at once as you learn them. So it's making it even more over the top and complex. And then yeah. that doesn't even talk about getting to the post to the DLC dungeon, which basically expects you to learn everything and a new element on top of it. They do a very good job of making sure that they keep using the elements of the game all the way through. And the puzzles are just super, super clever. Every single element has like some kind of special power that can be done. Like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, like if you throw a charged wind ball at us at a little uh, vortex, you will teleport to that vortex. Well, it's, it's not wind, it's wave. It's wave. Or wave, yeah. yes. Excuse yeah, the, so the four elements that we have are heat, cold, shock, and wave, correct? Yeah. Yes, because that's Which, exactly how it works. Heat is as it sounds, it's fire themed, cold that's is cold. ice themed, shock is thunder themed, and wave is weird. <laughs> <laughs> like wave is sort of like a shock wave force type thing. But it also has teleportation powers. Yeah, like it moving through walls, like teleporting to charge points. Sending a charged wave ball through a block to teleport it to another point once it hits a teleport point. Like the wave puzzles are so crazy. Like once you get wave, it's just kind of like a completely different game. It's so <laughs> cool. And then like what I will say as well is that the bosses uh, are often puzzle bosses in some way. And they are brilliant. They are so fun. Overheat a frozen mecha or. Yeah, like they are all themed around the tool that you have, but in a way that is more, way more interesting than your typical Zelda thing of just like, oh, use the tool on them. You still have to figure out how you need to use the tool on them to make it work. It's great. I love it. It's more complex than just, you know, throw, throw uh, you know, the, the thing at, at the at the boss. Yeah. Is there anything else we want to hit on before we get hit into the spoiler zone? And I think we've definitely uh, gone quite a bit here and I'm ready to get into the story's elements. If you have never played CrossCode and everything we've said till now interests you and you don't want to be spoiled, stop listening right now. Take my assurance that this is an incredible story that you would need to experience before you hear anything else about it. And thanks for listening. Remember, good stories are best enjoyed with friends and we'll continue blah, 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 blah. everyone else. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Yep. It's now if you have played this game, it's time for the spoiler zone. Warning. Spoiler alert. Warning. Spoiler alert. Warning. Spoiler alert. So, halfway through the game, everything changes. <laughs> yeah, we're part. You're part of. A, you're part of a big fun set piece, and then suddenly everything is a completely different. I, okay, let's talk about that thing and talk about our reactions to that thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was caught entirely by surprise with this. I thought, like most of the way through, I'm like, oh, this is a really cool set piece. It kind of like acts as like a little. Uh, a little boss halfway through. I thought it was just going to go through uh, normally. But so no. what happens is you and the first scholars, you go into a raid. Now, about half the guild is high level. Half the guild is around your level because you get Citron into your party. And as long as you split into two parties, they, it level sinks. And so you're going through this event where like you're calling out alerts to each other and, and syncing your actions. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly, just as time to hit the final boss. Lee gets teleported out of the raid by the blue avatar and we have to fight a real boss that is not part of the game <laughs> and he does not fight fair he's using you only have two elements at this point he's using all four on you 
Oh yeah, and and he is like he uses very cheap, very fast moves. His, his damage and stats are quite high. He has like a, what eight different um, faces, and you'll probably take down a couple, but he's going to wear you down. Whoever's controlling the blue avatar is blathering all of, all and on and on about how how players come into the, the world for a challenge, a challenge that we provide, and you know stuff like that. You know, just overly grandiose statements. If you do beat him. Because he's he explicitly designed that fight to be uh, beatable. Beat him. Oh, okay. No, to be beatable. Okay. But then if you do beat it, he's like, okay, what's coming next? You can't beat it because I really do have have to. Oh, that's when he starts super dashing. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And he it, starts he just, just charging you over and over again, invincible, to eventually he hits you enough times. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. So from there, he takes you to a dummied out portion of the game called the Vermilion Wasteland. And it's a horror show. It, it is, like, oh yeah. is the sickly thorn and dead tree overrun blasted wasteland full of weird creatures that look like it look like phagocile viruses. Yeah. And uh, so like what happened is that what what it ends up doing is it will probably make you stay up through the night once you hit it. Literally. Yeah, it happened to me. It happened to Jared. I don't know if it happened to Matt, but oh, it happened to me, too. Yeah, I was winding down around midnight playing the raid figure I'd save after that. Pow! Like it is it is one of the most arresting sequences I've ever seen in a video game. It is an interesting and unexpected way to like take away some agency from the player in a way that helps the story a lot. Because this zone is not fair. You're surrounded by in all sides, like by extremely powerful, way above your level monsters that you can't beat. And the second that they get pissed at you, a giant laser goes to the sky and blasts you till you just respawn back in your room. <laughs> yep. And while you're here, you start noticing a few other things. For example, Lucas is here. And like he says he was dropped off too, but then he said he's unable to log off. Yeah. Everyone here is like you and is unable to log off. But many of them, like you're, you're surrounded by people who are in various states of shock, horror, and in many cases, like sort of apathetic dazes. They're kind of in a fugue state, basically. Yeah, you got characters that are just like walking into walls, not doing anything. Characters that, like curled up and despairing. A couple that talk to you, but they definitely feel they they clearly feel hopeless. Yep, and like it sends you out on quests that have very unrewarding yeah. flow. Yeah, they're basically dummy quests. Up to this point, the game has had this conceit story that you're like human explorers, like working with the military to explore a strange hidden civilization. And while the skins are still there, like you see the same like NBC avatar of like the general giving the instruction just says, hi, go kill five enemies, go to three spots. Yeah. Return to this room. Yeah. Very rudimentary MMO quests in the most boring way possible. It makes everything really tense. Like you, it stretches you to your absolute limit. Well, the other thing here is that we know that we got introduced uh, when we got here to a character named Gautam. Oh yeah, and uh, Gautam, we know from Sergey, is one of the His, people who was associated yeah. with making the game, along with the name we heard of Shizuka's brother Satoshi. Yeah, yes, Satoshi. Speaking of Shizuka, he's all she's also here. <laughs> well, no, no, don't get ahead of yourself. OK, yeah, but yeah. Right. But Ga- Gautam attention. does kind of interrogate us. Yes, like, slightly like we're, we're trapped up. Like we have, we have trapped in everything. We're just dropped in this room with a little Zen garden. And then when Lucas comes after a little bit where he can't let out, Lucas can't remember any of his life. Right. He can't remember anything outside what he remembers from inside the game. Mm hmm. 
So we go through these quests, and then suddenly we're dropped in a room that Lucas realizes is his room from life, So, and he starts to remember more. But then we're just sent back to our room, so things are already uneasy, already weird, and then suddenly there's a commotion outside our door. Yeah. Up till now, Sergei had told us, he had told us like just a short time before, that, look, your real body's in a coma. That's what's going on here. Yeah. Not five minutes later, we find out he... The entire premise of us being stuck in an MMO because it's a coma, that's a fucking lie. Suzuka breaks down the door, sees us, and basically flips out Ilya. Yeah. 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 Uh, Shizuka, the character that we were controlling in the prologue, is not our character, but is very much related to our character. We learn that Leah is a Evotar. Basically, she's an AI clone, a computer copy made of Shizuka's memories. Right. And Shizuka resents her very existence. Yep. Yep. And so so essentially what the story is, is that we, we find out that uh, Satoshi made this thing that makes the, this kind of VR world possible or, you know, not VR world, but these avatar based games possible call, that he called the cross code which kind of translates is, is some kind of neural net kind of thing that translates human thoughts into, uh, into a, a form that computers can understand. But in the process of that, he found out that because of the fact that it's a neural net and it learns in some way that after a bit of training, you can actually run the neural net without the human attached to it. And it acts you, it, with some modifications, you essentially get a clone of the person with all of their memories and uh, and such stuff like that. And the strange thing is, it's a bug. It's they never say exactly how, because that would just be techno babble. But there's basically a way to trigger the copy, like the, like this telepresence copy that you're running to suddenly sever and create its own existence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, essentially, what they what they can do is that is that they after a, they can attach like a virus to a particular player. And essentially have a cross code that, uh, you know, like basically stores the learning data from uh, the cross code, the, the cross code neural net. And then they can essentially take that out and then start running uh, a copy of the cross code without the human attached. At which and point you have a top, at which point you have a top down AI. Yep. yep you have an Evotar. It's a learning program that, although it doesn't directly access the memory of its person, the memories are there and can be jogged. And they mm-hmm. act and think like like the person whose personality they were. Mm-hmm. So Shizuka basically tries to kill us. Yep. Yep. She smashes Lee across the yep. room into that little Zen guard and leaving a nasty gouge just there for the rest of the time to see it. Yep. She mocks us saying, oh, they told you to be able to find something, but you don't have anywhere to go. Yeah, I I would like it. It just like completely breaks Leah for like emotionally. It's really sad to see what's happening to her. I would say not the word you you said tension at this point. The tension in my heart spiked because she starts screaming at Sergey until she leaves him alone. Yeah, Yeah. next day she goes out once again with Lucas to do the same bullshit quest again, and she is silent in a way a silent protagonist shouldn't be able to be but she is yeah yeah Yeah, like just the dead stare that she has is heart-wrenching and i was frozen yeah the 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 gouge in the zen garden is actually i think really symbolic i was struck by that symbology a lot because before up to now leah has been very calm very you know zen Mm, okay but uh, you know, she has t- taken everything in stride. She's been interested in the world, trying to make friends and trying to work with Sergei to do what uh, 
you know, uh, what what's what he said was was best. But then after that encounter with Shizuka, her her entire uh, meaning for existence is called into question. And, you know, so her her Zen is entirely perturbed, more or less. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how cold and angry saying bye over and over again can sound. Yeah. yeah. It, but like. Like, so her response is to isolate and you yeah. know, she try she 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 chases Sergey off and you know she's very she she tries to be wants to be around Lucas but she's trying she's essentially kind of pushing him away isolating from even him it's mm-hmm. like she's just trying to do the work and doesn't care and she she's not reacting to him he's trying to engage her about random stuff like joking that Citron would find like he all like a running gag is he finds impractical geometry geography annoying. So yeah. yep. like how would this how would these cliffs exist? <laughs> Lucas is is trying to be supportive. He can tell something is wrong, but he he tries to give her space to deal with it because she doesn't mm-hmm. want to talk about it. And I'll tell you the truth, I was disturbed this point. Like I was felt, felt like my heart race. Like this is this is bad and this is going to go bad. Mm-hmm. But then he finally is able to stop her says, like, look. Before we do this, this next step is something wrong. Mm-hmm. And just by talking to her, Leah is able to express what is going on without saying it, what it is. She breaks down in tears. That's one of the most relieving moments I remember or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was that was a really good scene. And, you know, she ends up, uh, you know, hugging Lucas because uh, he was there for her. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like. I, I really like that uh, that whole thing, you know, basically the yeah. entire world was was crashed down around her, but she managed to get through it. She still won't talk to Sergei, though. She yeah. uh, refuses it, to speak to him that night. Mostly because she she feels that Sergei kind of betrayed her trust. She he lied to her. Mm-hmm. Yes. Eventually, though, we're able to start our escape. Yeah. Sergei finally, like after some time, Leia is finally willing to reach out to him and they talk. And he, and he figures out a way. They have to go into the tower that it really seems they only let the players into after enough time has been spent, let's say, marinating them in this horrible place. Oof. Yep. <laughs> this is where we find out that the tower is an instanced area, more or less. Yeah. Yep. And so we go into the tower and Sergey explains that, oh, all the instance areas are done in this really automated uh, warehouse that is just full of rooms made of instant they, matter. Yeah, it looks like they just repurpose a bunch of old uh, like uh, shipping containers, if you know what those look like with the, uh, mm-hmm. the big, colorful uh, rectangles. And what happens next, like once they get a chance there, and they're trying to get both you and hopefully Lucas out, because he's joined you in the tower, is the, one of the coolest things I've ever seen. It's really cool. The music kicks into high gear, and we start rocketing through the different instanced rooms. Yeah. Sergey says, here's a code. We're going to bust right through the wall. And then we smash into the wall. He goes, why? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, all the tension that is built up releases in this like yeah. explosion of what, what I best describe as anime energy. <laughs> can't communicate with Lucas anymore. So Sergey says, OK, I'm going to take care of that and have him wait in a certain place. So follow my instructions. Yeah, so you start going through and you get this like ridiculous drill move that sends you horizontally in particular directions or vertically and you break through walls and into like the bare, like, you know, very... The building blocks 
Yeah, like, like you see these suspended brooms you're going through. It's not even like a move. Like you, like like Sergey is is on the is basically he's access the level editor, like the world editor. He's adding these points that uh, create a code that once he gets the bugs worked out, it lets you smash out the instance between them into the next one. You go sideways, you go up and down, you go through the yep. floor, the ceiling, and you're just running through zones. Like it also even gives little previews of the uh, dungeon gimmicks that you're going to be seeing next. Like yep. it, well, there's like it's a little preview of how the final dungeon is going to look before you get to go through it as well. Yep. Like it's really cool. Now, this alerts the blue avatar who suddenly starts sending his monsters after you. And he's clearly counter hacking back. But so yeah. far, you're staying ahead. And finally, you get in a room that's full of stop and don't go anywhere. Sides look like I think I was supposed to stay here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lucas <laughs> is there and he's like, I feel like it's, it says Lee is coming, you know, uh, wait here. And so we end up having to fight this ridiculous boss that is not meant to be beaten because it has like, yeah. uh, you know, uh, several quadrillion HP. I believe it's kind of this 10 quintillion hit points. And Sergey's like, Sergei's only like 10 million. Does it really numbers really go that high? And well, yes, they do get to go that high because we also get to have our numbers go that high. <laughs> Sergey, our ever present hacker, b- breaks into code. Puts in a puts in more spawn points. Let's just convert projectiles into multipliers on our numbers. Numbers yeah. go up in the, in the game. And this is the expression of that. Like, yeah, like if you ever want to see. How many digits of numbers flying on screen like we've been seeing, we've been able to see damage numbers on the screen, like in any kind of action RPG. But seeing numbers this huge, like just as a set piece is one of the coolest looking things I've ever seen in a game. Yeah. Like. The, the damage number bounce and you're seeing like one E zero zero one five two three four. Like it, it is just like a ridiculously huge number on screen as you're watching the boss's health bar whittle away. And like when you build more, it actually does ramp up the speed until you finally hit max power and are able to fight the boss. It's so like you start slow, you're slowly building up and, and the blue avatar notices something's wrong. And then after a swarm of projectiles that you have to dodge, like in a whole maze section, suddenly yeah. it hits all the projectiles on the screen. You absorb 20 at once and now you're ready and the music shifts. Yep. It's so cool. At this point, we know that the blue avatar is Gautam's avatar. It's not hard yeah. to guess, but it hasn't revealed that. Is it, right. He amusingly is impressed. Yes, he, he's like, wow, I want to see what's what's going on here. Clearly, yep. somebody is helping you, but this is actually but, really cool. Yeah, this yep. someone's helping you, but you defeated somebody that couldn't be defeated. You you met the challenge. Yeah, like, he's going out about the challenge. You met the challenge that should be impossible. And he is just awestruck, but still ready to grab you. Yep. <laughs> but so you managed to escape. But unfortunately, the Lucas copy gets captured or rather. Oh, by Lucas, the way. Yeah. Lucas was a copy. Yeah. Sorry. Yes. With like, it's not hard to guess. Yeah, like what Lucas gets captured and then Leah gets out and then she sees Lucas, runs up and hugs him. And, and Lucas is like, confused. L- Lucas is confused. Emily is pissed. Like the next stage of the game is about Leah reconciling with her friends who thinks she ditched a mid raid and then just vanished for a week. Yeah, like, yeah. Like and, Emily is pissed. Like and unfortunately, Emily also doesn't want to talk about this, which is hard when Leah can't really talk and so i really like this this whole uh sequence just because uh it is a a little bit about well it shows one that leah has a strong personality she has social motivations uh still because you know she's very she thinks this is all extremely awkward and she she can't she can't talk to her old friends after you know emily got pissed with her 
up till now you had like a little message thing, like you'd send IMs to people, have them respond. Like one of the part, like one of the guild members, Buggy would would drop jokes on you, so you know you couldn't speak. Like you'd after you were at drive through window. Anyways, you yeah. can't talk to Lucas because she won't open it, and Emily won't respond. Mm-hmm. And we kind of change up our party members. When we get back out, Sergey is just like, okay. We're going to try to pick up our old plan and keep going to the end game. Yeah. Hopefully we can. Uh, I think I can evade detection by uh, Gautam, but you know, Sergei says he's now at risk. Yeah, he says you can't do raids anymore. That that if we think there was a gap there, he got in. So you have to be. Yeah, yeah. And, and what you pick to do. And it's Sergei just, kind of mentions that also like he was at risk of detection. And if he gets caught by incitainment, everything will fall apart. Right. And so, like, so the stakes of the game have now become yeah. not about just like getting not getting your memories back. Is it become about what can we do to save the Evatars that are in the Vermilion Wasteland? There, there, there are sentient beings being systematically tortured. The implication being it's clearly extracting information of some sort is what we seem to learn. And they're yeah. being copied. So people are being copied. Those copies are being abused and pulled out there. There's just this ongoing horror. And right. we know Gotham and a strange business suited man wearing a visor who came to see us briefly are the ones that behind it. Yep. Yep. So the next stage of the game, we are actually going to be hanging out with Apollo and Jorn as yep. they and like have, have minor domestic squabbles <laughs> as they have minor domestic squabbles and help us get through the Gaia's Garden section of the game, which is the biggest map. And it's kind of annoying. But you have Apollo hanging out with and you, full, which is fun. And full of I actually food. really liked how how this whole thing works, because. I don't know. I I really uh, like up until this point, I kind of thought Apollo was an annoying jerk and uh, Jorn was just kind of, oh, he, he's he's cool. I, I kind of like him. But then, you know, like Apollo does his thing, you know, blue haired spheromancer, uh, you, you know, like I, yeah, I challenge you. Blah, she, blah. Snaps, she snaps her name at him because he was promised he'd use her name for now. It's like, OK, spheromancer Leah. <laughs> and and so but, you know, he he detects that. Okay, something is wrong. You're not with your friends, whatever. And so when you beat him again, he's just kind of like, "Look, uh, you know, you know." He doesn't drop his his whole act entirely, but he's like, like uh, Jorn suggests, you know, like, "Look, she's not with her friends. Maybe we could." And she clearly looks distressed. Let's not leave her alone. Yeah, yeah. Apollo's a little awkward about, but he's perfectly willing. I, I kind of just love how in this next section, then Apollo switches course from being sort of like PvP rival to this is all the stuff that I love about this game. Let's go. Let's go engage with this game. And he gets super into the role playing aspect of it. And, and he loads the different monster types. He cheers about them. Yeah. Yep. Like he is. With two Sphero Masters, nothing is standing our way. He becomes sort of like a really cool friend. <laughs> Yeah, I really like how how like the game got me to change my assessment of Apollo from annoying jerk to cool friend in the space of like 30 minutes. Yeah. And well, honestly, he had been a little better. Like he, it, his fights are difficult because the game actually uses learning AI that you can't use the same move on him over and over again. But mm-hmm. it's after you beat him a couple of times, he's already respecting your abilities. Like for, even for everything I expect you of, you're clearly quite skilled. So there was already inklings of that. But here's where we just get the chance to just find another way to relate with people and have a yeah. gaming bring people together. Yeah. And this is where you kind of find out as well that Apollo and Jorn are, you know, together. Yeah, and, they live. Like, uh, yeah, they live together. They're definitely, if not dating, married. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. Very little and, question about that. We find out later, like in a later section of when they go into the post game DLC, they disappear on vacation for a, for a, a chunk of time. So come on. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm like, there's no heterosexual explanation for this. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so at, at this point, I think it's probably a good time to talk about Citron because we haven't. Oh yeah. Really, uh, yeah. We haven't touched him yet. Yeah, it, we don't need to go this the rest of the story point by point at this point. I think we just make yeah. clear how just yeah. one section we can love so much we talk about forever. The game continues like that may be the the most crazy point of it, but there's still so much story left and so much more. It's ready to tell us. Well, so yeah. I just really like, like what Citron does here because Citron essentially, as you get to the end of Gaia's Garden, Citron is personally responsible for mending things up with the first scholars and uh, Emily specifically. Yeah, because and how does he, he do it? He asks Leia yes or no questions. Yes, yes, exactly. Like he's like, OK, we have a communication problem here. Let's figure out a way around this. And Leia, did you mean to, to, to vanish on us? No, no. <laughs> Would like, you tell us what happened if you could? Yes. Emil just hugs us crying like, oh, sure, I'm so sorry. I, I just yeah. really like this moment because like it really does like I think it felt really organic and rewarding because yeah. like honestly, like like everybody here is is good people. But, you know, even good people can have yeah. moments at which they misunderstand each other or mm-hmm. when, you, you know, like when there might be a fight, even though nobody really did anything wrong through their own will. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you've just got like I like the fact that Citron had the emotional intelligence to just go through and, you know, just very patiently get things explained, get the misunderstanding cleared up and mm-hmm. everybody is better friends than before. Yep. So, yeah, with like that, we're able to now go through the rest of the story, which includes uh, finding uh, Satoshi's Ibatar, is it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We find out that when Satoshi, like I said, when Satoshi collapsed, he died, but he deliberately created an, an evil well, tower of himself with his up to date memories so that he can continue on. I, yeah. I wanted and to say that I loved the, the big block of three dungeons that we do after we make up with the first oh, colors. Yeah. Because, yeah. And I also love the Grand Chris Kajo Temple as well, just because you have fucking Sun Wukong as, yeah. the, as the boss. Sun Wukong riding a giant whale. Yeah, we just Sun Wukong's broken the foul fast. He stole the lunar whale and brought it over to fight us. Yep. It's <laughs> like it is a really cool building of teaching you how to use two powers and then building a boss that uses both of them. It's great. Yeah. Yep. So then, yes, we end up in the last area, which is what was it Twilight something? Sapphire Ridge. Sapphire Ridge. Where yep. the and game is we, currently stopped. They're waiting for more content to be created. And yeah. so we we go and find the uh, we go and f- find the secret area which had uh, Satoshi's avatar specifically which was in Leia's dreams, by the way, which is yes. now learned was her was her recalling uh, yeah. uh, call, recalling uh, memories Shizuka's memories as her Evotar. We yep. reconcile with Shizuka by having Shizuka realize that Leah is her own person and not simply a copy of her. Yeah, also right. by anime fighting. Yep, and also by anime yep. fighting. Yeah, the coolest PvP fight of the game is Leah versus Shizuku. It's so cool. <laughs> yep. And uh, and so we end up talking to uh, to uh, Satoshi's Evotar, who he made to essentially escape death in, in some form. Yep. And we make a plan but to was, save the Evotars by using a denial of service attack. Yep. yep. So he he also <laughs> uh, reveals that essentially what is happening is that Satoshi accidentally made these Evotars. And he went to Instatainment trying to 
get them to understand the potential and importance of this technology, but the you know the C-suite and like entertainment would would hear nothing of it. And so like, this is an awkward bug. You can mess with our game. Get rid of it. Yeah, yeah. And so essentially, uh, Satoshi felt that the Evotars were living beings, and I agree with him. So mm-hmm. and, and you should agree with and, him. But then he was approached. He was approached by a, a funder who said that he could get a space for Evotars to exist and therefore save the Evotars. What he didn't uh, reveal was that he was, you know, had criminal connections. And once he, they were they were in too deep, he started changing, you know, you know, pray I don't change the deal further. Right. And what he changed uh, it to is was a massive data mining exercise by torturing Evotars. Yeah. Identity theft and mass. Yeah. Like identity theft, uh, stealing of government secrets, all sorts of things like if it is if you can get a player that has that memory, you can steal it from them. It's terrifying. Yep. So, it's terrifying and it's awful because when we speak to that man, Sidwell, the masked man, he even comments, this really wasn't all that viable. I wanted to see how long we last we could get out of it. So this is just him. Mm-hmm. Just this is almost a side project to him. Capitalism yeah, destroys everything. <laughs> well, we're able to talk. But if you go to the city that like is sort of like the big residential hub city. So this Luckily, is the secret ending, basically. Rhombus Square. Well, this the is, game kind of screams at you. You should check for another. Well, yes, yeah, but th- yeah. this is an optional thing that you can do for a better ending. But it does kind of you, like uh, yell at you. You should do this. If you don't do this, you can't play the DLC. So, <laughs> yes, but it is a really cool thing where essentially uh, it turns out that one of the members of the first scholars has a connection to somebody high up at Instatainment who has an interest in artificial intelligence. Yep. So you have to. So you reach out to this to your mem- your friend. Because Sergey realizes he knows what we're talking about, so you reach out to Beowulf, mm-hmm. I believe as you called, and yeah. Sergey takes the risk of speaking to him. This is actually a really cool thing because Sergey uses some uh, knowledge that Satoshi's Evatar gave him to actually be able to talk with other people in the game directly in uh, by for to be Leah's proxy, mm-hmm. and plugging into a heads-up display almost. Yep. Yep. Uh, he, we convinced our, our our guild member to, to reach out to his friend and say, "Look, this is, we aren't just doing this for clout or attention. This is something serious, and we really need your help." And he, and yeah. at the moment, he listens. Yep. And so, and essentially, we end up meeting with this uh, high up in entertainment, and he does a Turing test on Leah, which is fun. Yep. A reverse and, Turing test. Yeah, like he, and, I mean, he does a does you guys he does a void comp test on us. <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> but like, it's a and. By doing so, we're able to like, yes, we are AI. Yes, we are sentient. Yes, we have a right to exist. Like he tests, like, how do you respond to nonsense? How, how are you able to respond to most of the ideas? If I send you an extremely, extremely long message directly to your consciousness, can you answer it in less than a second? So like, to prove mm-hmm. that's not just a person, like a person spoofing a machine. Right. Yeah. It, it's really cool ideas for it. It's just a small yeah. scene. It's just I would say it's very like optimistic, humanistic cyberpunk. At this point. Yeah, I really like that because, like, I am really invested myself in the idea that any artificial construct that can display sentience should have the same human rights as a as a human being. Yep. So, like, it's that ends up being the core conflict of this game, which is like mm -hmm. it's like you don't expect that from where the game is starting. But it's like it starts getting into that idea of, well, what is a person? Yeah. 
who who deserves to right to exist. And so, it comes away with that with that answer of, yeah, if anyone who can think is like this, <laughs> and it does it by having us control a character that learns that they are not a normal human. And I also really like the fact that they really kind of put a fine point on the fact that the Evotars are not the same as the person that they came from, that from that moment that they are created, they essentially diverge. And, you know, like they, they there's actually a bit of dialogue between Leah and uh, and Shizuka. It's like, wow, you're really different from from me. I wouldn't have expected that. And that's part of the reason that they can reconcile that she that Shizuka realizes that she's a different person. She's not like a replace with Satoshi made for, which is what Shizuka's core fear ended up being. That is that she was mm-hmm. replaced by an AI sister. So with that, whatever we do at this point, basically we need help for the final challenge to save the Evotar. So now we have to reach out to our friends, the guild. And finally, and the first Zora. scholars get the the lowdown on what exactly is the deal with Leah. And you know, mm-hmm. Emily is. Is shocked. Very, she's very surprised, but like she's very happy to know more about Leah because oh yeah, she's always wanted to. Yeah, uh, Buggy is a weird jokester as always, but we haven't talked about him much, so I'll leave that go. He doesn't do much. Is the thing <laughs> <laughs> kind of say not cool jokes about Leah's speech problems into in, in private chat until you he makes you cry and then he gives you stuff to give, make up for it. I'm yeah, <laughs> I, have, no, I did not do that. I did not do I, that at all. Basically, but, he does enough jokes that basically like, well, I'll give you this if you if you just say my name. And she actually starts crying. He's like, oh, shit. Yeah, I went too far with this one. Yeah, it's like, look, I'm sorry. I know this doesn't make up for I'm going to give you what I said I was going to give you like for my fake little sleep sticks anyways. I'm no, it was, it was like I'm not I can't give you this many uh, give you I'll give you this, three gold but bars. I can give you gold bars. <laughs> As I promise to stop doing that. And he actually does stick to it. Whenever she like if she goes back and forth with him, she'll go. But he, he never just like starts making weird jokes about her speaking again. Mm. But yep. And that's so, kind of a nice little side thing you do just if you use the I am chat enough. Yep. Yep. So essentially, <laughs> we get the first scholars on board, and the first scholars, together with and Apollo and Jorn, with Apollo and Jorn, basically they take us to Vilia Wasteland through Sergi and Satoshi's help, and basically now we're every single player is is basically at risk for violation of terms of service. It sounds yep, like. yep. Except Citron, who is 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 offline for several yeah. weeks of exam. Yeah, Citron says that he cannot join us for well, at all. <laughs> He actually vanishes before we are able to talk to everyone else. He's he's yeah. gone for a few weeks. Yep. But, you know, we're on a timetable. Yep. Mm. So and then we get the so we get to DDoS the tower and go. Which basically like, involves doing horrible things to those poor Evatars. Like we're you're basically using the Evatars to overload the server. It's kind of crazy. By getting them infinitely zapped by lasers. Like poor they'll, they, they'll be fine. They'll be regenerated. <laughs> OK. That gets us to the final dungeon, which is exactly what I want a good final dungeon to be. It's a test of everything you've learned in the game. And and the story is fun. Sidwell's like, yeah, fuck this. I'm going to delete everything. But then Gotham, as the blue avatar breaks in, steals Sidwell's access. Like, no, this this person is beyond a challenge. She's going to go through the ultimate experience for me. So it's like, ah, fuck. Yeah, yeah, so this this they they make the final dungeon kind of like Gautam showing off like this is what I want the capstone to be. This is the ultimate challenge. Yeah, and like it is a really cool dungeon with a devastatingly horrible final puzzle room. Yeah. Gautam is kind of the the level designer more or less. Yeah. Oh, speaking of those puzzle rooms, I 
I love those rooms that are the uh, slow uh, projectile reflection puzzles. Almost every dungeon ends with a capstone room. Yeah, that's sort of like testing. How do you use all the abilities that you've learned? It's usually having the guided projectile through like a 20 second to minute and a half long uh, path where you have to move things in real time, access things, perhaps freeze, freeze watery blocks in this ice so they reflect things, teleport, teleport elements. Yeah. Yes. And just all that gets the, the, the your, your slow, your slowed down or moving through a set path to hit all the points to start a teleport. Gautham takes it to 11. Yeah, it is a big plus shaped room. You have to shoot a shot and then guide it all the way around this room through. How long would you say the sequence is? Probably like two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and this is and you're doing stuff the whole time. I mean, yeah. you get it, infinite tries. So you stop, you look, you see what you did wrong. You go to the next step, you start over. Ugh. But it's also really tight. <laughs> it's really tight and precise. It's it's tough, but it's like it is an appropriate final puzzle. Yep. And it makes you really ready to beat Gautham's face and once once you're done. Yep. And of course, Gautham isn't done giving you puzzles. The final boss fight has phases that are their own ricochet puzzle things. It basically starts the same style as fight before, fighting the, the blue avatar on the crumbling platform with him using different elements. You're going to see so many of the same things you saw when he when he kidnapped you. But then he says, No, let's go god mode. And he means it. Yep. <laughs> He turns into a giant Hindu expired elephant trunked god mm-hmm. called the creator. And you have to reflect shots at him through a bunch of different mini puzzle rooms, uh, dodge big attacks before he uses a super attacks. Yes. Yeah. Like and it, it also brings back the ramping damage mechanic. Yeah, he's is, he has enabled every cheat, not because he wants to win, but because he thinks you can beat him even yeah. doing it. So. You basically like it is a really cool over the top fight and it is so fun. Yeah. And you see and Gautham throughout this is revealed. He loves to challenge the design, but he feels like he can't push things hard enough. Players aren't appreciating it. And also it's clear that what he's been doing with the Evatars is not something that sat well with him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like so essentially Gautam like is making this him going out in a blaze of glory more or less because he wants to stop Sidwell. But he also like wants to like he he kind of feels like Leah is the person who can overcome his greatest challenges that he cannot show to the, you know, the rank and file player. And her very nature fascinates him. It fascinates him that an artificial being is just as alive, just intelligent and just as able to defeat him as any person might be. Like to him, it's almost a transcendent truth. Unfortunately, that also leads to him feeling that there's nothing left and he like it is a heart wrenching scene. To wa- yeah, we find yeah, out them. His real human body is it basically been situated in the playground, which is very dangerous mm-hmm. outside of the specialized room is he walks out onto the instant matter dungeon, cracking the ground beneath him, then steps off the edge after congratulating Leia. And Leia is trying to stop him. But because Leia is so light and cannot move regular she bounce, matter, she literally like, bounces off him. Yeah, she yep. cannot do anything about this. And it's like it is heart wrenching to watch because Leah doesn't want it to happen. Yeah, Leah wants to save Gautam. And, yeah. you know, you know, like like there's no reason like he he did some wrong things because he was, you know, involved in this whole thing. But, you know, at the yeah. very least, we he, she wants to save him. Mm-hmm. But she so- can't. And then Sidwell simply logs out and disappears. 
Yep. Yeah, Sidwell unfortunately gets away because we don't know his real name or identity. No, we do. Oh. It's just that he oh. could very easily. We know he is Sidwell. That's who he is. We know well, no, but is. I mean, like he actually he, had a connection with Leia's first existence. But mm-hmm. but like, essentially, we can't like pin him on anything. We can't punish. Yeah, him. nothing that equals very clear proof. Nothing that he wouldn't. If we brought it up, it would probably just destroy Gautham's memory anyway, since he would be blamed for everything. Mm-hmm. And he, Sidwell just skates away into the shadows. And so the and game so, ends with us with uh, Leah basically going into a hibernation state, waiting to see see if the Avatar server can be turned back on. If Instatainment will, with with the convention we game, if Instatainment is willing to entertain these living beings in their in their universe. And if you play the DLC, you do get to see the new home that is created for the Avatars. And the DLC, I like it. I certainly love it. I can't say it's as good as the original game story because it's kind of a coda, but it's one of the coziest little stories ever. Mm-hmm. It, there's a lot of really charming slice of life moments. And the what is the name of that beach? The the beach of I don't know, the beach of the endless jumping puzzle. I don't know. Yeah, like <laughs> uh, the extended rhombus square and the beach are really cool areas. The dungeon at the end, I think is cool, but I think the final boss that they add is not nearly as good as the ultimate oh. experience. One, and then they make one, a final story boss, which is kind of small. By the yeah. way, one thing that I'd like to uh, to mention as well that I should mention earlier is another thing about CrossCode that I love is that they did such a good job with making a 2D game exploration heavy, which is actually oh, yeah. relatively yeah. hard to do. And like, there's so many jumping puzzles. They they did a, they do a thing where there's different layers of height on on the maps. Oh yeah. There's different ways to traverse between them and uh, and move around them and stuff like that. But it's all just done so well. Like there's jumping puzzles everywhere that yeah. and multiple screens and stuff like that. And they're all just so clever. You take a five minute jumping tour around the entire outside of the map. Now, mm. it is has some mercy. It has a few checkpoints where you activate ways to get back up. And, mm. But the characters with you just endlessly complain about it. they can't believe like this is just this better be something good at this. It's it's extremely it's it's cool, though, because like usually I think jumping puzzles are BS, but it works well here. All of jumping puzzles in this game, when I'm done with them, I'm like, I'm just like blown away. I'm like, wow, that was a clever jumping puzzle. And when do you ever say, say that? It's almost so, never pixel perfect, like jumping reactions. It's about a seeing paths and, and b recognizing mechanics and using those mechanics to move forward, like mm-hmm. the teleport spots of wave or seeing or being able to activate like jump pads, which which shoot you in a certain direction. Yeah. And so, they, they don't have have like jumping timing or anything like that, because all the jumps are automatic. You just move towards an edge and you jump. So all this is like. It's a great looking game. It plays really well. Has a great story. Has a great story. And it was made by three people in HTML5. Yep. That is the most mind blowing thing about this game to me. It took him years, of course, but. Yeah, but like, it's like, you made this in a programming language that. HTML5 and JavaScript. You made this in a programming language that most of the time is just used for websites. Well, actually, like, it's kind of funny because uh, a little bit about myself. I myself is a, I'm a web developer. I know exactly how this would be done. And like, I, I am actually most comfortable working in JavaScript nowadays just because I use it in my professional life all the time. OK. But, uh, yeah, like it, it's it's kind of funny. You just need the right framework and you can make JavaScript 
do this stuff. You can bend it to your will. But it is surprising that it can be this high performance. Yeah, like it is smooth most of the time, as long as you're playing on PC. I do think the Switch version that I tried playing was a bit laggy, but that's because the Switch has to like emulate this programming language. Well, I think what it's doing is that it, it actually has a it's actually doing the thing where it's doing a package browser. Running right, right. So it's I've, I've been lost for a good chunk of the last part. <laughs> play it on PC. Uh, it's as great. One who's as the one who's only dabbled in minor in minor scripting. I've been pretty awesome. What you've been saying for the last yeah. chunks. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a surprisingly emotional story. It, it's not my favorite story, but it is everything about it is like this is what video games can do when it is done by really dedicated people who love what they're doing and aren't afraid to just like do what they love and not just chase the trends. Yeah. Just think exactly about what you want to do and how you can tell your story through the game itself. Right. Crosscode is a dialogue heavy game, but so much of it is just built in how the game plays. Yeah. I don't have much more to say about it than that. It is a brilliant game and you owe it to yourself to play it. Well, and not only that, it's, it started out at $20 and it was a steal at that. I think you can now get it for $10. It's so much content. It is as much content as a Final Fantasy game, basically, for $10. You yeah. need to play and buy it. It is incredible. Like, it's the best value in gaming. <laughs> so I think that's about it. <laughs> I do hope we got some interest here. And, and, and hopefully people who end up being spoiled by their own choice after all are still interested in going through with it. Yeah, please play this game if you have not... Uh, but otherwise, next week, we're going to be getting back to Kingdom Hearts. We're going to be talking about prequels. Yes, prequels. How Nomura apparently thought the Star Wars prequels just need a little bit more love. And I can't blame him for that. And ice cream. <laughs> and uh, and tokusatsu. Not tokusatsu yet. We're talking about 358 over two days next week. Oh, for some reason, I thought this was uh, this was after oh, we were doing. Uh, never mind. OK, never mind. Yep. Matt can't that. remember what order we what order we recorded. Jared, take us away. Until next time, I'm Jared. I'm John. And I'm Matt. And remember, a good story is best enjoyed with friends. Thank you for listening to Backlog Dialogues. If you're enjoying our deep dives and discussions, be sure to leave a five-star review on the podcatcher of your choice. If you're really enjoying our deep dives and discussions, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash backlogdialogues. If you'd like to hear more episodes, you can find our archives at backlogdialogues.com. Special thanks to Eli for our theme song. Kingdom Hearts and all associated trademarks are the property of Disney and Square Enix. Please support the official release. So let me get let me uh, make sure I get the pronunciation of the of a few of the names here correctly. Is it? I, it, so it's got to be Leah, right? Not Lee. Leah, not Lee. Lee is the final fa- is the Kingdom Hearts character. Leah is the protagonist of Crosscode. Leah, Leah, Leah. That <laughs> is what I always heard. Okay. Um, usually, I usually say Lee just because. Uh, I, I did was, too, but apparently it it's Leah. Leah. Oh, interesting. So you have heard other sources saying that? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, usually I would say there would be an H if it was Leah. Same. That's what that's what I would say. But that's but that's but that's that's late. Anyway. Yeah. Um, then. OK, it's Emily. Emile. Emily. What is it? I think it's Amelie. Amelie. Amelie.
Amelie. Because she is, without a doubt, French, after all. Okay, so the Amelie and Citron to my Leah. 